tonight will be uh, in the book of Acts uh, at the beginning of chapter 3, if you want to follow along. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave, him, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man, whom you see and know, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Well, good day, everybody. Um, my name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul Revival Church, and uh, I'm so glad you've joined us. Um, it's great to be here, and we're going to spend a little bit of time now uh, reflecting upon that wonderful part of God's Word. Um, but before we do that, I want to ask you this uh, question. Isn't it interesting how in relationships it's often the case that opposites attract. And we see it all the time in marriages. Uh, when choosing a husband or a wife, uh, you look for someone who compliments you. And by saying that, I'm not saying someone who just says nice things about you that compliments you, but someone who's actually different from you. Um, I think my wife, Lyndall, and I um, complement each other. Uh, Lyndall is fairly sophisticated cultured and has refined tastes and I'm from the western suburbs. 
Uh, Lindell studied and performed classical and jazz music at a very high level. Um, I used to play guitar in a heavy metal rock band. Uh, Lindell enjoys period dramas uh, with all their intrigue, their romance, their beautifully destruct, uh, con con crafted uh, dialogue. And uh, I like action films where things tend to blow up and the, the script is simply catchphrases like, I'll be back, um, and Hulk smash, and things like that. You know, really profound. Simple, but profound. Um, we're different. We're different, and that means we often need to put up with an awful lot. Um, we might grow to enjoy the differences, um, but tolerance, tolerance is needed. Um, tolerance is essential when we're in relationship with people who are different from us. And this operates um, not just in a small scale, but um, tolerance is an attitude that's essential for keeping um, harmony in broader society. I don't need to tell you, um, we live in a diverse nation where differences go far beyond just taste in music. Um, they go to deep-seated differences uh, like lifestyle, culture, language. And so, it's not surprising that um, tolerance has actually become a sort of a, a great virtue in Australia, you know, alongside mateship and a fair go, Aussies ought to be tolerant. Now that's all well and good, but the understanding uh, of tolerance has actually changed, I think, over the years. Uh, I looked in the dictionary for the definition of tolerance and I came to this, it says, uh, to endure um, or to put up with uh, the opinions and behaviour you dislike or disagree with. There's the um, definition of tolerance. So I can say something like, I don't like your taste in music, um, but I'll tolerate it as it blasts from the bedroom. Um, or even, I think your worldview is wrong, but I respect your right to believe it. And there's the issue, isn't it? Um, I'm sure you heard it. Um, to say you don't like something or to say that something is wrong, well, we even use the word, we say that sounds intolerant. Who are you to say what's good or bad, what's right or wrong? And so uh, in these days, I think understanding and usage of the word tolerance is actually more like acceptance. There'll be no mention of difference being good or bad, right or wrong, all difference is equally valid and must be accepted. Now, friends, um, that puts Christians who believe the Bible in a difficult spot because in an atmosphere of unconditional acceptance that all opinions and worldviews we come across are totally valid and acceptable, we get a verse like this here on the screen. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's pretty exclusive. That's not all that accepting. There'd be a lot of people that would say that sort of statement is incredibly intolerant. But that's Peter's conclusion as he explains the event that we just heard read for us out just then. 
And that kind of opinion was met with just as much opposition back then as it does now. So why would you say something like this? Why would you say something so narrow, so intolerant? Well, it depends on who you think Jesus is. And that's what we're going to think about now. That's what this passage teaches us. Sheds light on who Jesus is. But before we do that, uh, why don't we pray? Because one, God needs to help us to understand his word. And two, when we come across these sorts of difficult passages uh, in, for today's society. So let's just pray now that God would help us to understand. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we do humbly admit that we need your help when it comes to understanding and responding rightly to your word. Lord, especially when we come across teachings that can sometimes be seen as incredibly unacceptable. Help us, Lord, to understand it with wisdom and humility, but with also obedience to your word. And so it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as our reading opened, let's go back to that scenario that, that Jeff read out for us a minute ago. Um, there's a huge crowd shuffling towards the temple in Jerusalem. It's three o'clock in the afternoon, the busiest time of the day at the temple. And there we meet a crippled man begging for money, crippled not from injury, but lame from birth. And there he sat, day after day after day at the gate of the temple, hoping that some kind soul might have mercy and drop a few coins his way. Then one day, two Galilean fishermen, Peter and John, were passing by. Any chance for some spare change for the poor? Cripple would have asked them. Peter and John look straight at him and say, look at us. I imagine the cripple's eyes lit up, thinking, I'm going to get something here. Then Peter says, my friend, I don't have a cent to give you, not a brass razu, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And Peter reaches out, takes the crippled hand, man by the hand and helps him up. Instantly, the man's deformed and weak legs become strong. For the first time in his whole life, he's standing on his own two feet. Can you imagine what would have been going through his head? If I can stand, I can walk. If I can walk, I can run. If I can run, I can leap with joy. And together with Peter and John, they walk, no, they leap into the temple, praising God at the top of his voice. Can you imagine the crowd that day? Word of the miracle would have been going through the temple courts like wildfire. Come and see, come and see what's happened. Do you remember that guy that was crippled? Yeah, yeah, he's been there for years. He's walking around, he's, he's jumping and leaping. In the courts. And there before them stood three men, the former cripple, 
and two men from Galilee. And the buzzing of the amazed crowd falls to a hush as Peter begins to speak. And this is where we should be joining the crowd at this moment. Joining the crowd and paying special attention to what Peter has to say in explanation of his, of his actions. First thing Peter wants to make sure they understand is that um, he's not really responsible for the miracle. You can imagine the crowd, can't you? I mean, they're looking at in awe and wonder at this man who can now walk. And where's that, where are their eyes going to go next? Well, straight to Peter, the miracle worker. Peter says this in verse 12 here on the screen. Peter said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The, the healing, Peter says, has got nothing to do with me, but everything to do with Jesus and faith in his name. And so with that groundwork uh, put down, Peter continues his preaching. And similar to the sermon that he gave after Pentecost, just days prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter then gives an explanation about what's going on. Peter's going to remind the people again of what they did to Jesus. And friends, uh, it's not easy listening. He highlights the, the polar opposite of the actions of God and the actions of the people. God has glorified his servant Jesus, he says, but you people of Israel, you handed him over to be killed. The evidence is damning. Even Pilate, a, a Roman pagan, knew that Jesus had done no wrong and offered the option of releasing him. And what did the people say of Israel? They said, no, crucify Jesus. They insisted he must be crucified. He's a damning irony, he says, you, people of Israel, you killed the author of life, but God raised him to life. It wouldn't be going over that well. No nice little jokes and illustrations to get you listening. You killed the author of life. That's what you've done. But God's done something even greater. Okay, so with that recent history in place, it's been outlined, Peter's going to get to the crux of the matter and we see it in verse 16 here on the screen, verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he has completely healed him, as you can all see. It is by faith in the name of Jesus that this man has been healed. But you note how he says he has been completely healed? This crippled beggar has been given much more, much more than just the ability to walk. In the book of Acts, this uh, healing story receives more attention than any other healing act in the whole book. And it's deliberate. Because think again, where was the beggar? A 
as he sat crippled. He was at the gate, outside the temple. Luke here is underlining the absolute and utter hopeless position of this beggar. Lame from birth, he is a cripple and ceremonially unclean. Um, it would be against the law for him to even be carried into the temple. And if he could not get into the temple, he is permanently cut off from God. But as he's healed, what happens? Where does he go? Straight away he walks leaping, praising God, into the temple. He can not only walk, but now he can become a child of God. And that's why this healing's been recorded for us. It shows us what faith in the name of Jesus can do. It takes a person who is unacceptable before God and makes them acceptable. Peter is saying that all this is by the power of Jesus' name. The miracle is a symbol of the gospel. It's not just a healing, but a symbol of how salvation comes through the name of Jesus. And you can imagine this whole wave of emotions that would have been happening that day. And Peter says, what this all boils down to is fulfilment. Fulfilment of the promises of God. All the promises of God reach their amen in Jesus. And it reminds them from verse 17. I've got verse 17 here on the screen for you as well. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. You see, the shocking way that the people had treated Jesus was actually the fulfilment of God's plan. His Christ would suffer. In verse 13, a little bit earlier, um, we read how that Jesus is described as the glorified servant. And as soon as they heard that, they should have been recalling Isaiah's prophecy. And more particularly, we're reminded of Isaiah chapter 53, where the servant is despised and rejected by the people. And we read how he is crushed for the sin of others. He would be the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. And so, okay, we've got an event that's been described. Now Peter's going to sharpen the sermon even more. Um, It certainly would have been unpleasant to hear the condemnation from Peter, what they did to Jesus. But now he's going to give them an opportunity, a chance to respond in the right way to God. You see, Peter's point here is that uh, we just can't look at this wonderful healing and walk away with nothing more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling. Um, You know, it's a bit like the warm, fuzzy stories that used to happen at the end of the news. I I don't know if you remember this. There used to be a time on TV where news programs were actually news programs and not just full of entertainment. Um, And they only ran for half an hour. So as a kid growing up, the news only went for half an hour on TV once a day. And after hearing about 
wars or economic turmoil or political intrigue. Um, they'd always stick at the very end of the news a little short, happy story, something to make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. You know, most of the time it was just often a rescue, uh, most commonly of a, of a puppy or a kitten stuck up a tree or something like that. And at the end of that, at that you'd, you'd see this little rescue happen and you'd feel great. You'd think, oh, that's so lovely. And it would make you think that all is okay with the world. And that's the way the news would finish. Now, the healing of this crippled man is most definitely a happy, joyous event. Um, it would be the perfect warm, fuzzy story to have at the end of the news. But Peter is saying, don't walk away from this event with nothing more than a warm, fuzzy feeling about this. No, you must respond to Jesus. And so we read in verse 19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. In Christ, you now have the opportunity to have your sin wiped away. You can picture the people that day. As they were listening to people, they would have been staring at the healed cripple, the man who was once unacceptable to God, but who now could come into the temple. The one who's now saved through the name of Jesus. And the connection is clear. Peter is saying, you too can be acceptable to God through Jesus. You have the opportunity to come into his presence now, to be cleansed of your sin, to be cleansed by faith in one name, the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, at the end of that, even though on that day, the days following, there would have been, there were, it's recorded in Acts, thousands of people were added to their number who turned to Jesus. 5,000, it said. That's a big number. There was a big crowd reaching out and embracing Jesus as the Lord and Saviour. But even with that happening, there were still some who were taking offence at teaching about Jesus. And as we read on into chapter 4, Peter and John are taken into custody and end up standing before the very same people that condemned Jesus to death. There they were, being questioned, grilled. Where do you get this authority to do such things? Now, as they're standing in the exact same spot as Jesus was and knowing full well what happened to Jesus, you would think this would be a moment to think discretion is the better part of valour. Perhaps we'll just take it easy. In the early 1800s in America, there was a famous preacher uh, by the name of Peter Cartwright. He'd travel from town to town and preach at gatherings. He had a reputation for being quite blunt, uh, colourful, um, even offensive in his preaching. Uh, one morning at church, he was told um, that the congregation was going to be visited by the then President of the United States, Andrew Jackson. You can imagine the elders of that church. Oh dear, we've got a clash happening here. Um, Peter Cartwright's preaching today and the President has arrived. 
They went up to Peter Cartwright and said, can you please, please just be careful in what you said, in what you say today. The time came for the sermon and Cartwright stood and began. I've been told that President Jackson is here this morning and I've been asked to be careful in my remarks. And so, I want to say that President Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. I can almost hear John leaning over to Peter and whispering, Peter, these guys are not our friends. We are in a dangerous spot. Can you please be careful with what you say? And Peter might have whispered back, don't worry, John, it's all going to be okay. And with that, he turns to the rulers and he says this, you want to know? You want to know by what authority we've done this? Does the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth ring any bells? In case not, let me remind you. He is the one you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead. He is the one you rejected, but it was now the cornerstone, the foundation of God's kingdom. Let me tell you again the name of the one who gives power to heal this crippled man. It is the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so he concludes his sermon with that verse I had up earlier. We have it here again on the screen, guys. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Well, you could imagine that the courage of this unschooled, ordinary fisherman took this court of rulers and head honchos by surprise. And after a brief conference, we read what happened after that. Verse 18 here on the screen. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. How could the disciples stay silent? How how could they shut up about this? For Jesus Christ had come into human history. He had died. He had risen again so that we might be able to be completely healed. From that historical moment on, everything changed. From that moment on, the name of Jesus became the one, the only name of salvation. Friends, um, yes, that message is exclusive. And let me tell you, it's hard to hear in a pluralistic society. It's hard to teach in a pluralistic society where any and every worldview is valid and must be accepted no matter what. But Jesus, friends, is indeed the only way 
for salvation if he died and rose again. If right now he is seated in majesty in heaven. The disciples couldn't help but speak about what they had seen and heard. And Christians over generations, over centuries, could not help but speak of the difference that Jesus makes, of what they too have seen and heard. And so that's why we, you and I, will continue to speak about the name of Jesus. Now, we don't need to be as blunt as Peter Cartwright and make it easy for us to be labelled as hateful and bigoted, um, but we must not let the true reality of who Jesus is and what that demands of all people. Because, friends, Jesus really is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Where else, where else are we to go for complete healing? Where? Has any other religion, has any other philosophy promised and delivered anything close to what has been fulfilled in the name of Jesus? No. And so that's why we need to repent. That's why we need to repent in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's why we'll continue to speak of the the salvation that's only found in his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that every promise in Scripture finds its fulfilment in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the complete healing that we can receive in the name of Jesus. We thank you that we can come into your presence now with great joy and peace in believing. Lord, please help us to have the words and the wisdom to speak about Jesus, the only name by which we can be saved. Amen.